this. Hey, please be seated. Blessed to be with you today. Now, you have probably noticed that we have a number of young children in the fellowship. You don't see them around now because they're in children's fellowship and uh, the preschool fellowship, but we do have one. Why don't you turn and see? There's Evelyn Mendoza back there. Oh, well, no, we have two. So now, you look at Evelyn. You look at these two children. They're beautiful, right? If you came to fellowship in a year and they looked the same, you would consider that something was radically wrong, right? And it would be. Think about we, you and I, as children of God. Take a snapshot of your life now, of your walk with God now. If that looks the same in a year, then something is radically wrong. But it's something that can be easily addressed. And there are many Christians that I have encountered, Christians that I have been <laughs> over the years, where you, you might be a Christian for 2, 5, 10, 20 years, but you only have one or two years of growth. Now, if that happened in a physical child, we would be alarmed. We would be taking major steps to correct that. And when this occurs in a Christian's walk, Something is wrong, but it's something that can be changed. It's something that can be addressed. And this year, we're going to focus both as individuals and as a church on growing into the disciple that God has called us to be. Just as the parents in this room want their children to grow into the adults that God has called them to be, we want to grow in our walk with God to what God would have us to live and be, which is going to be different for everybody. We're not going to look the same. Isn't that great? We don't all look the same. We don't all live the same. We don't all grow with God the same, but we all continue to grow. And a disciple, which is what we're going to be looking at this year, is only one of the ways that God describes his people. Now, he describes his people with a lot of different terms, but He never calls us losers or second-rate. Of all the descriptions that he has, he doesn't have that amongst them. But what he does call us in different places in the New Testament, we're called Christians. We're followers of Christ. We're called believers because we believe in God and his Son. We are also called saints, which means we are holy ones now. And we're called followers of the way. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I'm following the way, following that road. Each of these different ways God describes his people has a different emphasis. But there's one that I really consider to be preeminent among them. And that is the word disciple. And the reason I describe disciple as preeminent is because it is this unique description that God uses when he encourages us to reach the world. It's in Matthew 28, 19. This is the Great Commission. And Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. He didn't say make Christians. He didn't say make believers. He didn't say make followers of the way. He didn't say make saints, even though all those would be included. But what he focuses on is make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. 
Now, every disciple, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are also a believer. You are also a saint. You are also a Christian. You are also a follower of the way. You are all these things. But those four descriptions, believer, saint, follower of the way, these descriptions are all achieved in the first part of this great commission. When a person is baptized or born again, they become a Christian, they are holy, they are a believer, they are a follower of Jesus. All those happen in that moment of time. A disciple is the description that is ongoing. You don't just become a disciple. You cannot be any more Christian than you are right now. You cannot be any holier than you are right now. But you can grow as a disciple. And you grow as a disciple by observing the things that Jesus Christ has taught, making them your way of life. Because you have a way of life right now. You have a worldview, you have a way of life, and you've developed this, you've cobbled it together over the course of however many years you've been alive, and it's who you are. What we want to do is, instead of cobbling together from the world, we want to assemble the disciple that God has called us to be. And why don't you take a look at John chapter 8 here. God wants us to keep growing. And the way we do that is as a disciple. And in John 8, 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. Okay, so they were believers, right? They believed. They were believers in Jesus. If you abide in my word. It's an interesting uh, selection of words there. If you abide. That means to live, to remain, to stay put. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You become a disciple by abiding in the words of Christ, doing what he commanded in Matthew 28. And you know what happens when you become a disciple? You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You see, with God, knowledge always has an aim. The aim isn't just to know stuff. He could say, and you will know the truth. Okay, You abide in my word, you will know the truth. Well, that would be good. Knowing the truth is better than not knowing the truth. But it never ends with knowledge when it comes to God. You will know the truth, and that knowledge of the truth is going to set you free. For me, I want to abide in Christ. And when I think about abiding in Christ, that means I want to live where Jesus lives. And where Jesus lives is the center of God's will for him. I want to live in the center of God's will for me. Now, there's a reason that God doesn't want you to settle for just being a Christian or just being a saint. And the reason is there's more. There's a lot more that you could have in life today. Christianity is not about, hey, someday in heaven, life's going to be better. Well, someday in heaven, life's going to be a lot better. But that doesn't mean it doesn't get better today. And that occurs when we start growing as a disciple. God wants you to pursue a relationship with him, a relationship with him, and he wants you to experience everything that Christ achieved for us on the cross. You see, in the Bible, in the the language of the Bible at least, knowledge is never just intellectual. Knowledge is always experienced. You don't really know something in biblical language unless you have experienced it. So if you go to class 
and you learn everything about this particular experiment that you're going to do in biology class. I remember these when I was in high school. The, the teacher explains everything. I know every step, but I don't really know it until I do the experiment. That's the kind of knowledge we want. We want to experience. And I want to understand and live everything that Christ purchased for me on the cross. And in God's world, what that means is becoming a disciple. It means we continue to grow. I want to look at 1 Peter 2, 2. This is from the New Living Translation. I love the way they put this. It says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk. Well, I know little Evelyn. I know my grandson, Danny, when... He's hungry. He's two months old. When he's hungry, you know he is craving that, that milk. He makes it, he is very clear about that. He can't use the words, but you know. God, God uses this analogy. You know how, much, how a baby is when it's hungry. We've all seen hungry babies. That's how God wants us to be with him and looking to his word. And why should we do this? So that you will grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. You have all experienced, to one degree or another, your salvation. God wants you to have the full experience of your salvation. And let's just decide that we're not going to settle for less. If this is what God wants for me, I'm going to want it for myself. And a small part of this full experience is listed in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, uh, 22 and 23 gives us what are called the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of this new nature that you have. Now that you're a Christian, these are things that you can enjoy. They are not guaranteed. They are simply available to you now. Let's read about them. In 5.22 it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, do you see anything on this list that you might like more of in your life? Is there anything on this list that somebody could give you some money to give up? Hey, I'll give you a million dollars. No more joy in your life, Kathy. No, that's not a good exchange. That is not a good exchange. There's nothing that I would... If I could have these, I'm not going to sell them off. And if I'm not experiencing them, I want them. Growing as a disciple is going to help you begin to enjoy these fruit of the Spirit. And you know what it is? This is just how Christ lived. This is what Christ enjoyed on his life, in his life on earth. And he wants us to enjoy the same thing. But what is a disciple? I mean, this is a word, everybody's heard the word disciple, but what is a disciple? What does he or she look like? How do they live? What activities or characteristics are common to disciples? As I was looking at this upcoming year and this theme, I was asking myself those questions. And you know what happened? I discovered I only had vague answers as to what it meant to be a disciple. And if you only have a vague idea of what it means to be a disciple, you are going to be a vague disciple. And that's where so many Christians are today. 
They would like to be a disciple, but they don't know really what that means. So part of helping us grow this year is to allow God to spell out for us what he means when he uses the word disciple. Now, many times people think of disciple as a committed learner, okay? And a disciple is a committed learner. But remember I told you in the Bible, learning is not the goal. Living is the goal. So a disciple is a committed learner, but that's not what it is. You know, I learned math in college. I do not abide in calculus, okay? I want to abide. I barely got out of calculus. But uh, I, abide, I want to abide in Christ. See, the word that best describes disciple for our 21st century mind is an apprentice. An apprentice, someone who wants not just to get a, a degree of information. You know, there were lots of courses I took in college. My whole goal was to get enough information to pass the final and move on to something more interesting. That's not the way it is in God's Word. An apprentice is someone who not only learns from the master, but imitates the master, lives like the master. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. It says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. And then in verse 25, Jesus goes on to say, It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. So my goal is not to be better than Jesus, which is good. That's not an achievable goal. (laughs) So my goal, however, is to be like my Savior. And you might not think that's achievable. Some people don't think being like Jesus is achievable. Oh, no, no, way too high. No, this is Jesus talking, and he says it's available to be uh, like him. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. That's what we want to be like. A servant like his teacher. That's what I'm looking for. This is exactly what Jesus Christ did, okay? This is exactly how Jesus Christ lived his life. He imitated God. Look what it says, and look what it says. Look what Jesus Christ says in John chapter 5, verse 19. It says... So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. This is Jesus talking. He says, I can do nothing of my own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Jesus Christ was an apprentice to God his Father. He looked at what God was doing, what God was about, and he imitated that. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Isn't that how children still learn today? They they want to be just like their moms and dads. This is what Jesus Christ did. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. God showed Jesus what he's doing. He wasn't keeping it secret. God was not working in mysterious ways, telling Jesus, hey, figure out what I want, Jesus. Figure out how to be the Savior. No. No. He showed Jesus, he saw what the Father did, and that's how Christ learned to be the man he became, a man who could save the world from their sins. And this is a different concept for a lot of people because they don't think about this very often, but many times when they think about Jesus, they just think he was always like this. That he just, you know, he popped out and this is the way he always was. And that is not the record of the scriptures. In the scriptures, Jesus had to learn, just like you and I. He was learning from his father in John chapter 5. Look at Luke 2.40. It 
It says, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. He grew. He had to develop in his wisdom, in his understanding. Look what it says in Hebrews 5.8. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered or endured. Even though Jesus was the only begotten son of God, he still had to learn. He still learned in this life by his father teaching him. Jesus learned to obey God. And in Matthew 28, he encourages us to observe or obey what he has taught us. And we're going to look at being a disciple from two different angles this year. One is as a church. One is as individuals. Also, we're going to look at it from the big picture and then we're going to look at it from the nuts and bolts of our daily lives. But first of all, the big picture. We want to be a family, a family of disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. This is the high level of what a disciple looks like. A disciple is someone who loves God, loves people, serves the world. And you know what this is? This is just imitating Christ. Christ loved God, Christ loved people, Christ served the world. Everything about being a disciple is just learning to live the way Christ lived. And you can do that. You can't look at Jesus Christ as not, as giving us an unattainable example. That's not what he says. Many Christians believe it's unattainable. You know why? Because they call themselves something that God never calls them. Remember I told you God calls us saints. He calls us Christians. He calls us believers. He calls us followers of the way. He does not call us sinners. Many Christians self-identify as sinners. And if you're, if you're a sinner, what, what do sinners do? They sin. <laughs> so there's my identity. That's not a good identity, okay? Saint is a much better identity. If you are called a holy one by God, then you can be a holy one. You can live that kind of a life. Jesus did all three of these in his earthly ministry. And the first two, loving God and loving people, are summarized in what Christ identified as the two greatest commandments in all the Bible. And you know what's interesting about these two greatest commandments? Neither of them are part of the Ten Commandments. People think think of the Big Ten... No, neither of the two greatest that Jesus pointed to were even on the list of the Ten Commandments. They went far beyond that list. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, it says, somebody asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? You know, the Old Testament had a lot of commandments. So this guy comes up and says, Okay, Jesus, which is the best? Which is the greatest? Which is the most important? Where do I get started? Verse 37, And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We often think of commandments as restrictions. We think of commandments as thou shalt not. You know what the greatest commandment is? Thou shalt Thou shalt love. God's, see, our perception is so backwards many times. Jesus later clarified that loving your neighbor meant loving everybody else. 
He did that. Even the hated Samaritans in the, in the Bible, you had to love them also. You know, Stephen Blacksmith and I went back and forth on how we wanted to word this, love God, love people, serve the world. And, you know, we could have said, love God, love your neighbor. We could have said, love God, love one another. Both of those are scriptural. But we wanted to hit something that showed in our language today what Jesus was talking about. When Jesus said, love your neighbor, he clarified that to mean love everybody. So we went with love people. Because in, we are to even love our enemies. Love our enemies. And you know what that means? That doesn't mean you go up and, you know, have a romance with them. That means you still value them even though they oppose you. That you recognize a person, a man or woman's created value, whether or not they agree with you or not. You know, I find people, you know, this, in our country today, there are people that hate Donald Trump or that hate Nancy Pelosi. You know what? If you hate either of those two, you are out of sync with God. Really, that's it. Period. And if you can't pray for both of them with equal verve, then you're out of sync with God. Because he doesn't say we love who we agree with. He doesn't say we love who's nice to us. You know, how about, you look at Christ. That's how he lived his life. Now, the third point is serving the world. Serving the world. Now, serving the world primarily, this isn't all it means, but primarily it means reaching people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Because that was the first point of making a disciple, getting them born again, having them baptized. Jesus Christ served. Look at Mark 10.45. It says, For even the Son of Man... Now, it's interesting. Jesus Christ is called also many things in the Bible. He is God's only begotten Son. He is the Redeemer. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. But when speaking of himself, Jesus most often called himself the Son of Man. You know what that means? He identified with you. That's what that means. All those other titles about Jesus, they're still true. But what did he choose to say? I am the son of man. I'm like you. So we can be like him. For the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, in God's kingdom, it's the opposite of the kingdoms of this world. In the kingdoms of this world... Everybody serves the king. In the kingdom of God, the king serves everybody else. That's just how different God's point of view is. So this is the big picture that we're shooting for as disciples. We want to be a people who love God, love people, and serve the world. The second way we want to grow as disciples is as individuals in our own lives, which everybody's life and life experience is different. And this is the nuts and bolts of you personally becoming a disciple. We're going to turn these three big picture items, love God, love people, serve the world, into a lifestyle that is understandable for each of us. Now, as I said, I did not have a clear picture of exactly what a disciple should look like, how she lived, what he did. You know what I lacked in making disciples? I lacked a blueprint. 
Now, can you imagine endeavoring to build a house without a blueprint? Now, I had a brochure. Okay, the brochure just shows you a picture of the finished product. You know what my brochure is? Jesus, okay? There's the finished product. He's my brochure. Just like you get a picture of a, of a house, you don't give that picture of a house to the contractor and then he builds it. No, he needs a blueprint. He needs steps that he can take to put it together so that you get to the house. I can read the Gospels. I have a snapshot of Jesus. Okay, this is what it looks like. The blueprint is going to show us how to get there. So over the course of this year, we're going to be looking at biblical blueprints. Biblical blueprints on the practical side of becoming a disciple. And they're going to have bite-sized steps so that we can all grow from where you are today to where God's going to have you tomorrow. So that at the end of the year, we're all going to need to wear name tags so that we can recognize one another. Now, God wants us to be transformed. Being a disciple is about being transformed. Changing from who you are to something better. Walking with God gives up nothing of value. Does it give up things? Yes. But it gives up nothing of value. And you will not become a disciple by accident. You're not going to stumble into this. You will become a disciple on purpose. That we decide, you know what? I do want to pursue this this year. God, teach me. I want to be different next week, next month than I am today. I want to be closer to you. I want to be more aware of your presence. I want to be more aware of your power. I want to be more aware of your will. To become a disciple takes training. And in fact, God uses athletic terminology in the Bible to describe growing as a disciple. Because I think we can all understand uh, athletic training in one degree or another. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent... Oh, I'm reading it from a different... I'm going to read it to you from uh, the New Living Translation. I like this one better. It says, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good. Physical training is good. It is good. I, I work out four or five times a week. There are benefits to that. There are blessings to that. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. That's what we want. Now, I warn you that going all out with Jesus as Lord, deciding to grow as a disciple is going to be different. And you may find it to be uncomfortable at times, but the payoff is huge, both today and throughout eternity. I have, you know, I've been pursuing a Christian walk for closing in on 50 years. I know I look so much younger than that that you can't imagine that I've been doing it that long, but it has been close to 50 years. And at times, I have felt that the cost of discipleship was high. And you might look at it, and you might think the same thing for yourself, that, you know, pursuing this, going all in on this, could be high. The cost could be high. 
And then I realized that I was looking at the cost of discipleship all wrong. There are much greater costs to ignoring discipleship. There are much greater costs to rejecting discipleship. And the reason people reject it, it's not usually a constant or a conscious rejection like, no, I am not going to be a disciple. It's they pull back because they think it's going to be too different, that it's going to be uncomfortable. Humans tend to like sameness. I know people, they don't even like to move the furniture in their house. They want it always the same because the same is comfortable. But that, the, the same, not so much comfortable, the same is familiar, and we find the familiar to be comfortable. You're going to go into unfamiliar territory with Jesus Christ. So you know what that means? You're going to find a new comfort zone. And it's going to be a better comfort zone than the one you've been living in. You know, I was comfortable in my dorm apartment in college. Uh, But after I graduated and got married to Susan, I was much more comfortable in the unfamiliar environs of a nice apartment with a beautiful wife. So was it familiar? No, but it was much better. That's what your life is going to be like with God. This week, we're going to pray together in a moment. In fact, why don't you just stand up now? We're going to pray together because there are certain things that I'll teach you, that Garrett will teach you, that those of us up front will teach you about being a disciple. But the greatest teaching is going to be what God teaches you and works within you because he loves you as an individual. You know, those of us who have more than one child, we don't have the same agenda for each child. We we want them to grow up and be blessed. I guess that's the same. But we want them each to be who they are and to grow into who they can be. That's what God wants. And the only one who's going to be able to do that for you is God. I don't know you well enough. And I'll never get to know you that well. But God knows you that well right this very second. And he knows where you can grow. So the point here is, just like little baby Evelyn, we are not going to look the same in a year. So if you're close to somebody, why don't you join hands and we'll just pray. You can come up here, Susan. Give a better look up to the front. Okay. Pray with me, please. Father God, we thank you for the joy we have of knowing you, of being your children, of having a relationship with you. And at this very moment, God, I pray that you can work within each one of us a great desire to have more of you in our lives. I ask you, God, to show us how we can grow as a disciple. What baby steps you want us to take this week so that we can grow closer to you and understand you better in our lives. I pray, God, for 2020 being the year of growth, deliverance, and discipleship. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You guys are wonderful. Garrett, you got something to close this with? So I have a deeper love for God this year. Okay. And use your own words. Listen, 
this might be your first time praying for someone, but I can tell you right now, you, this is, you were made for this. You were created to pray for someone. You were created in Christ to make intercession. You don't have to come up with some lengthy you know, sermon over the individual. You can pray these exact words. I want you to put your hand on their shoulders, and I want you to say, and, and you're going to do this in a minute, but just pray that they have a greater heart for God, that God opens up their heart to love him more this year. So that's the first thing we're going to pray for. So I want you to pray that right now, and then you're going to take turns. Allow the other person to pray over you. Loaded words in Christ Jesus. Your words that you speak have absolute power in Christ. So if you're not standing next to anybody, come on up here. Me and your brother. Okay. So use your words. Don't be scared. Use your words and pray over the individual right now. If you're keeping, if you're still praying, keep going. But those of you who have finished, now we're going to pray over the individual to love people more. Okay, and this can only come from God. So this is where we're making intercession. We're asking God to work with the individual to have just a fresh new love and a fresh new vision and a fresh new heart for the people that are around us. So we want to love God more this year. I mean, that's our heart, right? We want to, as disciples, grow. They love God more. We want to love God more. We want to love God's people more. So pray that over the individual right now that they have a, a, a deeper heart for God's people as he has for them.
All right, lastly, you're going to pray over the individual um, for areas to serve more, to look more and to walk more like Christ selflessly. And so, again, it's only by the power of God that we can reach that standard of Christ. But you were made for it. You have the Holy Spirit in you to do it. You know, it's not on your own effort. It's not on, oh, how can I just uh, be more like Christ? No, it's, it's let's let God work in our hearts to love and to use the gifts and the abilities that he has given each of us individually to make a difference and a an huge impact on the world around us. Amen? All right. Well, if you're still praying, keep going. Don't let me stop you. But, hey, you just walked a little bit closer like the Lord Jesus Christ. You're making intercession. You're using your words, your power to step out and to make intercession for that individual. And so that's, uh, that's what you're made for. It's, uh, it's a pretty cool thing, isn't it? Amen. So it's going to be a great year. Father, we just thank you so much for this day, Dad. We give you all the glory. We thank you for the week ahead that we can... Uh, <laughs> We can just enjoy it with you, Dad. We can enjoy walking more like Christ. We can just 
get to see your hand at work in our lives, Father, as we stay fixed on you. Father, we love you so much. Thanks for this morning, Dad, and the words we heard. Thank you for preparing Bob's heart for the message that we needed to hear this morning. And I thank you, Father, that the word spoken goes deep in our hearts and goes straight through these walls and into the hearts of those outside these walls. Father, we love you so much, and it's in the name of Jesus Christ I pray. Amen.